Hey, Brett, we got a a pretty special guest today, don't we? You know, we do. Um, These are the shows that I think are are so important and so uh, meaningful, especially to canine handlers, when we're going to share a story that is for any handler, uh, the worst nightmare, the worst nightmare, but there's lessons that we can learn of how to deal with these uh, situations. And it, it, these are not easy to talk about, but they have to be talked about because it's the only way that, that we can learn in the police canine world on uh, what really happens and, and what we can do to avoid certain situations or uh, dealing with uh, the tragedy. So that's, that's going to be the show today. A little bit heavy, but I think it's important. All right. You ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So in studio today, of course, we've uh, got Adam and Leslie, and we have a very special guest. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, he's uh, one one heck of a canine handler, one heck of a cop, uh, and more importantly, just a, a good person. I've known uh, Ryan Fike is our special guest today from Oklahoma Highway Patrol, and he's been gracious enough to share a story again Probably, uh, 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 not probably, it's definitely the, the worst situation and nightmare for any canine handler. Uh, Ryan, hey, buddy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is uh, an incredible story. Uh, sends chills up my spine every time I hear it. And uh, just so the audience uh, knows a little bit about you, go ahead and give us a, give us a bio, how long you've been on, working a dog, etc. Well, I've been on the highway patrol for uh, 15 years now. And I've been handling a dog for about nine years. And I've been on our SWAT team for about eight. Great. And tell us, uh, tell us about your, your, your partner uh, and, and just a brief bio of uh, the career and how you started uh, with him and, and give us a little update on him. Well, uh, this, this particular dog, his name is Valor. And I let the guys on the team name him. And this dog was my third dog to handle. I retired the previous dog due to age, and this dog I picked and trained specifically for our team. And he was a about a, he's about a fifty-two pound mouth, super social, love love the team guys, but he was full of drive and a really good just SWAT dog. That's awesome. And when uh, how long did you have him on the street before this deployment? I had him just a little over two years. Wow. And so again, this is uh, this isn't uh, two years, and not not a rookie dog. Uh, anyone that uh, knows anything about the police world, uh, you guys in Oklahoma, you do a great job. I, I know a lot of your team guys. I know, uh, of course, uh, your lieutenant, and it's it's a great unit. And you guys do an amazing job. Um, and you're actually uh, one of our tack dogs instructors. And, and what an honor to have you. You've added so much to the program. And to let our audience know, a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about, Ryan, has been a, a huge part of the success in our program and the principles that we stick to. Ryan's a great example of, of how it works when it comes to the principles of our program. So let's start off. Give me, give me just a brief on the deployment. Uh, start us off with um, you get the call and go from there. Okay. Yeah, it was... Um it was a in, in September. It was just after lunch, and I was on a day off, actually. 
and our team gets activated to assist a rural county with a barricaded suspect. And that's all the information we had at the time. So I, I go into service, load my dog, and go to the uh, to the scene, which happens to be not too far from my house, about an hour and a half drive. So I'm one of the first of our operators there. And we start getting information in. They have containment uh, set up around this uh, farmhouse. It's out in the middle of nowhere. They have some deputies and some of our road uh, troopers on the perimeter holding it, waiting for our team to arrive, which typically it takes several hours to get all of our guys to somewhere like that in the rural area of the state. And so the information that we're receiving when we got there is that this older um, gentleman lived in this house, a, uh, a neighbor went to check on him, and a kind of an altercation ensued from behind the door. He's telling this neighbor, I don't need you to come check on me. I need you to get off my property and fires a shot off. So the neighbor leaves and is concerned about this guy's well-being and calls the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department sends a deputy to do a welfare check. And the information the deputy had was, was kind of limited. He didn't, he didn't know if the guy was shooting at the neighbor and shot himself. Um, he goes up to the, to the house and the, the suspect shoots through the door and hits the deputy in the lower leg. Mm. The deputy is able to drag himself behind some cover and call for help. And so other deputies and other law enforcement in the area arrive and they get him out to the hospital. And during this hour, hour and a half time frame where they're trying to get him out, the suspect shooting randomly out of the house from inside of the house, but they never can see him. Okay. And so by the time that our team arrives and we start getting set to move in and take over operational control, we haven't heard anything from the suspect or heard any shots. And so then we start getting set. We get our containment in. We have, of course, we have armor. Get our armor in and we start going through our barricade procedures. We start with announcements for 30 or 45 minutes with no response. Um, we end up going to a gas plan and, you know, in the gas plan, we put gas and in, introduce gas into the house and we get no response there. We make some more announcements. And so this, this gas plan that I'm talking about that is that transpires, it takes multiple hours. Sure. We, we launch gas. So if, if I can, let me, let me interrupt you real quick on that and share with our audience. A lot of times, um, they don't know what we do. So, so this entire time we're talking about hours later, um, what, what are you and Valor doing? Give us a little bit of behind the scenes of, of where you're at. You're communicating with them, just hanging out. I mean, I know my, my partner sometimes will fall asleep on me. So tell, right. tell, share with us what, what you and Valor are doing. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's Valor and I were in the, in the Bearcat and he was asleep on the floor. Just kind of chilling <laughs> exactly. out and I mean, doing what dogs do, you know, and, He's, he's always happy to see the guys. When the guys get in the Bearcat with him, he wants to love on everybody. And then once once they start doing their deal, he just kind of chills out and waits. Awesome. And um, so, you know, we, um, like I said, it's the gas plan, a, it's a multiple-wave deal. It's not just launch gas and then go to the next thing. We're trying to, you know, introduce this gas to pressure the guy to come out. And because we want this to end peacefully, we don't you don't want any, anything bad to happen to anybody. And as as the gas plan goes along, 
we, uh, me and some other operators move behind a warehouse, which is not too far from the front door, so we can make our armor mobile and that we can still hold the front door in case, you know, we have an arrest plan to, to accept him in case he surrenders. Mm-hmm. And so then they start using our Bearcat to reach windows and put pole cameras into the windows to see if they can locate the suspect. Um, we don't know if he's dead. We don't know if he's passed out. We don't know his condition because he's not responding to gas. And, and sometimes gas doesn't affect people like it does everybody. Some people, you know, have a higher tolerance to it or whatever than others. Sure. So as this gas plane goes on, after multiple waves of gas, we're not getting any kind of response from him. We decide to introduce the robot. And the, uh, the robot goes in and goes into the house as far as it can go. Uh, the house has a lot of, uh, you know, order type stuff in it, stacks of boxes and papers and, and whatnot. So the, the robot uh, is not able to go very deep into the house and is unable to search all the rooms. So we go back to the hoarding of windows. And so we use the Bearcat, which is the safest because it's armored. Sure. We, but we have, to, we have to put some people up on foot to some of the windows just because of their location. So... Right. Uh, with the Bearcat Mobile, the team and I, the entry team and I were staged behind the wellhouse. We had to go up and port some windows as a team. So I'm not taking my dog with me because he's not going to help me port a window. So I leave my dog there behind cover in the down. And this is where the down is very important. Amen. You know, um, I've listened to some of your other podcasts talking about the down at Stable. So I'm able to tell my dog to down, and then I'm able to pick up a rifle and go hold or cover while these guys are, are porting windows to see well if we done. can locate this guy. Well done. Well done. Let me uh, back up a little bit here. So explain uh, just real quick uh, a Bearcat uh, so our audience knows uh, what, what that is and the, why it's such a benefit. Yeah, um, yes, the, the Bearcat is a armored vehicle that has uh, the capability – of uh, porting windows with the ram, inserting gas with the ram has a spike on it that we can insert gas into a house. And the, the biggest thing about the armor is that it's safe to be behind. Sure. It's, it's a hard piece of cover that's going to stop and pee or a pair of bullets. Yep, yep. And one, one, one other question too. Explain, uh, so we all love to use a robot. We want to use every tool available to end these situations uh, without anybody getting hurt. And a robot is an amazing tool, but, um, share with the audience, uh, you know, wh- why the, the robots are just so limited, uh, compared to, uh, the dog or, or, or even, uh, you know, it's, it, it is safer, but they're really limited, especially when you have these houses that are just so cluttered and full of stuff. They just got a hard time getting around. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yes. Yeah, and um, you know, I, another thing you think about when you do your training, you know, if we're training in buildings that are totally open with no furniture and no stuff in them, that's not really realistic. Yeah. Because uh, I've never been in a house that's just an open room with no furniture in it in real life. Right. And so these robots, you know, they are beneficial. They have cameras on them. They can talk. You know, they have, I say they can talk. They have a microphone. And so the, the robot operator, you know, can send that robot in, and it's slow and cumbersome. But it has a place. I mean, definitely want to try to use that prior to putting my dog in the house. Sure. And prior to putting people in, for sure. Um, you know, 
I don't want to say the dog is a last resort, but he's not always the proper tool for the situation. We do know this guy is armed because he's already shot somebody. So sure. I don't want to see my dog on a suicide mission. I don't want to meet lethal force with less than lethal, fo- less than lethal force. So the robot was the next step in trying to locate this guy. Yep, yep. So um, get gas. Gas isn't working, and now it's it's time. And and um, I would say most handlers have been in this position, and this is where, just like you said, no suicide missions, but but it's time. And as we, as as you know, Ryan, you've been a huge, huge uh, supporter of this pause before boots. Uh, you got to send that dog in, uh, before we send in the guys. So now that decision is there, it's, it's in, in your lap. And so you, what, what's going through your head when you deploy? Well, so like I said, we've exhausted every other option, um, to this point. And the next, the next thing, the next step is to send the dog in because our, our guys aren't going in the house before my dog. Um, we don't, you know, we always send that dog in first. And so basically the team leader's like, Hey man, you're up. I'm like, come on, Valor, wake up. It's time to go to work, buddy. And, you know, of course he, he realizes what's getting ready to happen. He starts getting really excited. It's, he jumps up on me, tail wagon, and we're behind cover. Um, getting ready to make an approach to the door. The door is already breached. We breached with the, the, uh, Bearcat earlier. So I can see when we go up. We pole cam everything we can, and when we go up and the team holds on the door, I'm at the towards the back of the stack, and they call me up to the front. As we make our way up to the front, I'm I'm typically, you know, right behind the first guy on my knees. I work on my knees a lot, and so I got the dog between his legs. He's holding for me, and I can see into the kitchen. The lights on the kitchen, and by this time it's getting dark. It's almost completely dark. Uh, we've been there for about eight hours now from the time that we started the operation till when we decided to put the dog in the house. We had no kind of contact with the suspect at all through the whole entire eight hours that, until the point we deployed the dog. So I could see in the kitchen. I could see into the living room from the corner of the doorway. And then it goes deep towards the staircase in the bedroom. And I send the dog in. The dog goes through the kitchen in the living room, works kind of around the wall on the couch, and he has to actually hop over the robot, go deeper into the house. And as soon as he hops over the robot, I can see that demeanor change in my dog, his body language change, kind of stiffened up a little bit, the tail raised a little higher. I could tell he was an odor, and he rounds the corner of the stairwell, and I lose sight of him. And then I hear a gunshot and see the muzzle flash. And I mean, of course, it scares the crap out of us. Um, this guy's been laying there or sitting there in this dark stairwell the entire time, like a crocodile, waiting for our operators to come in the house again. Wow. And so um, immediately Valor uh, yelps. And of course, I'm calling him to me. And he comes right to me, recalls to me. And all offline, he comes into the heel. We get behind, back behind our uh, Bearcat, and we start checking each other out. The guy that was the number one guy at the door that was with me, he looks me over, and I look him over, and I have to turn my flashlight and look at Valor, and I can see there's blood coming out the end of his nose. And I'm thinking, man, he ran into something. Or when that guy shot, he, you know, something happened. And it didn't really dawn on me that he'd been shot initially. And so 
we kind of gather ourselves up and we're talking about, you know, where he's at on the radio. And of course I'm the person that had the best vantage point, me and the, and the first guy, um, to what, to see what happens. So we're trying to relay information to our containment. Hey, he's in the, this corner of the building, you know, he fired a shot. So everybody knows what's going on. And then, so I look back down at Valerie again and he's just sitting there. Uh, looking up at me. So he's not, uh, I mean, he's I, still, he's still energized. Um, he's yeah. still, still in drive and he, he uh, evidently, uh, he got shot in the face. So just tell, tell me about that real quick. Tell our audience about that. Where, where exactly he got shot and with, with what, if you will. Okay. And so he, well, I look back down at him and he's looking up at me and it's like, you know, when you ask your dog to focus on you, how they just, they just kind of stare at you yep. and they're waiting for the next thing. He's staring at me like, Hey, what's, what's next dad? And I look down and there's a tremendous amount of blood coming out of his neck. And I'm like, Whoa, this is really bad. So we jump in the back of the Bearcat with our medic and I start really looking over him and I find the exit wound in his neck and, um, I'm able to stick two of my fingers into it to, to plug it. Wow. And I realized, man, we've got a problem now. And so um, later when I gave him the vet, I found out that the bullet actually entered in between the tip of his nose and his, and his uh, eye and his, and his nose. And it traveled down his nose and it came out the roof of his mouth, struck his tongue, and then it went through the back of his neck and, and it exited. Oh. And we assume it was a thirty-eight uh, caliber pistol. Not 100% sure, but... That's what we think it was. And so we were able to take combat gauze and stuff it in his exit. Mm. And the whole time, you know, the, he's just laying there like tail wagging, uh, you know, not, not fighting this on medical treatment, just kind of, just kind of accepting everything we're doing, which I'm, I'm glad he didn't turn into like a, chainsaw you know but sure sure, sure. so <laughs> but you're in a, you're in a rural area right so so you load them up do you head to i mean where is the nearest vet how long of a drive was that I and mean, where, where'd you go from there so we went we went to the nearest town that had a vet and the, our medics were crazy I mean, they they made some phone calls and got a vet out of bed and got him to meet us at his office so they they uh, got us out of the uh, operational area in the Bearcat, and then we hopped in the ambulance. I picked him up, carried him in the ambulance. We had wrapped gauze around his nose to stop the bleeding coming from the entrance, and then we had the combat gauze stuck in the exit. So I pick him up and, and hop out, and we hop in the ambulance, and we go about, oh, it's I think it was about 35 miles to the vet. Wow. And our medics are kind of, you know, working on him all the way, kind of just, just talking to him. One of the medics was laying in the floor of the ambulance with him, kind of holding him in his lap, uh, just kind of talking to him and get him to the vet. And the vet is a, uh, you know, a rural vet. He's like, man, I'm a cow doctor, so I, I can stop the bleeding, but you're going to need to take him somewhere else. And I'm like, okay, I mean, doc, this is what I need to know. Is he going to be all right? Yeah. He's like, I really think he's going to be fine. Wow. So no, um, nothing life-threatening, thank God. Uh, what, where's he at now? What's the, what's the final prognosis? What, uh, um, what was the healing process like? Well, um, so that night I drove him to Oklahoma city, which is about a three and a half hour drive. And I took him to a, um, a vet that had ICU care 
And he went there, and he was in ICU for two weeks and had three surgeries. And then I brought him home, um, I think, almost four weeks, four or five weeks after the shooting. Brought him home, and my wife, and you know my wife, yeah. uh, my wife's <laughs> like, he's not he is not going back outside with one finger in the air pointing at me. So, and of course, he had a kennel outside. He lived at home with me, but he, he lived in the kennel outside. And um, we get him home, and he's never been back out in this kennel. He's uh, he's actually on the couch right now. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Well-deserved. With my, my three-year-old. Right. Wow. right. So uh, we decided to retire him due to his injuries. He, he doesn't have a septum anymore. His, uh, his nasal passage is just one passage. And due to the damage to his nose, he lost one canine tooth as well from a bullet fragment. Due to all the damage he had to his nose and everything, the decision was made to retire him. So we retired him, and he's been at home ever since with me. Wow. I got to tell you, brother, I've, I've, you've shared that story with me a, a dozen times, and each and every time I'm just, uh, I, I, get, I get chills. Um, that's to the, the incredible training that you've done with that dog. I mean, in, uh, the audience has to understand to go in a situation like that, you cannot train, you can train for it, but you cannot duplicate your emotions. And, and the, I, I love what you said. I, I don't care who you are, or how many times we've done this, the fear, when you hear that gunshot, yep, you're scared to death, but you fight through it. And that's to the, the person that you are and the dog that you selected, the training that you put in, the team that uh, helps train with you. Those are all the, it's the recipe for success. And I know it's hard to say success. I mean, your dog got shot and now he's got to retire, but it's still successful because he came home, he's alive, you're alive, your team's alive. And that's the success part because of all of the hard work that you put into that dog. Would you, would you agree with that? I mean, and you, you tell me your emotions about it now. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, that number one guy I was talking about, he's one of my best friends. And he went up to the hospital and saw my dog, you know, probably every other day. And he's like, man, this dog saved my life. I, I was number one through the door. Yeah. And that that makes me emotional. Those guys that, uh, I mean, those guys helped train that dog. I mean, that dog, I didn't do it all by myself. That dog was a part of the team from day one. And those guys had a hand in training him and a hand in making him the asset that he was to the team. And for those guys to feel that way about him, you know, means a lot to me. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard for him, you know, it's, it's hard for him to get shot for sure. But that dog did exactly what his job was, did exactly what we trained him to do. And he kept, he kept an operator from getting shot, no doubt about it. That's, um, you know, here, here we are. Leslie's heard the story too. She's in studio, uh, teared up right now as, as, <laughs> as are all of us. Um, that's the important thing that, that everyone has to understand. These dogs are so important to us. They do have a mission and you, my friend have, have, have strived for mastery and you've achieved it by that deployment right there that showed mastery to be able to send the dog, to be able to get the dog back, to know what to do when the dog gets injured and to have your entire team live through it, that's mastery. Um, if you would, because I know this is going to come up, I'm going to get uh, a million questions and emails. Uh, how, how, real quick, how, how did it end, if you can share that? The, the yeah, so um, 
when I was at the vet, the, the original vet, 30 miles away, when I, after I asked the doctor, I said, he's going to be all right? And the doctor's like, yeah, I think he's going to be all right. I said, I got to go. I said, you guys need to pay me back. Because I could hear shooting going on. I could hear him saying, shots fired, he's shooting at it. Stuff was going on uh, still at the scene. I could still hear him on the radio, on my headset. And the medic's like, oh, what? I was like, you stay here. I'll go. Where's your car at? And he's like, no, you, you need to stay here. I'm like, no, I'm going. I'm going back. Yep. And um, so we, we get ready to load up to go back. And um, I hear him talking about a fire. And we don't know. Of course, it was investigated. Um, a fire started inside the house during the shooting. We don't know what caused the fire. Um, they, they actually knocked the wall down after the fire started to give the guy an escape avenue, you know, from the fire. And sure. He continued to shoot at him, and he stayed in there in the fire and perished in the fire. Okay. Um, so he ended up passing away, unfortunately. I hate, you know, I hate that a human life is lost and, and all that. But he ended up uh, staying in the fire and dying. And then, you know, of course, after the fire, they found his body, and he had multiple multiple guns and uh, there's multiple rounds of ammunition that were cooked off in the fire. So he was dedicated to the end. He, he was one of those that definitely, you know, when they say, I'm going to shoot it out the cops, I'm not going to prison. He was one of those guys. Yeah. So yeah. he ended up uh, dying there. Yeah. Well, that is a tragedy, um, but it could have been far worse. And because of who you are, the dog that you have, the training that you've done with the team that you work with, it, uh, it, it ended up uh, the best case scenario for, for at least you guys. My friend, thank you so much. You are a true hero. Um, man, can't wait to see you again. And uh, <laughs> thanks for being on the show, brother. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, man. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Dog Disruption, your source for better dog training, obedience, systems, techniques, equipment, and stories. Hosted by Brett and Leslie Titus, SWAT and police canine handlers. Be sure to subscribe to the Dog Disruption Podcast wherever you get your podcast, and of course, leave a review. Also, don't forget to follow Dog Disruption on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find us at dogdisruption.com. And as always, be a good dog.